Text me. That's Yossi there? That's Yossi. Yossi's still alive, Baruch Hashem, at May of Eskim. And Adam, how are we doing What's this it? afternoon? This evening? This lovely evening, everybody well? Cat and all? Okay. Way to start? By saluting the cat. Nothing like having a happy cat. Pashas Vayeshev, Ruchem Aboyim. Shem Hashem, Berech Nuchem Veis Hashem. We're celebrating tonight the birthday of our daughter, who was supposed to be here by the Shir, didn't make it back. I don't know what happened to her. She's down the block, yes. Shavash Nasat Slocha, Bracha, Richesom, Vishanim. Pashva Yeshev. Of course, the famous Pasha, which in the archives you'll hear the story over repeated, repeated again and again, but it's only right to repeat it. About the woman that came to the ladies' section in Shul and was reading the Taich on the bottom of the Chumash, the translation of the stir. Ah, there we go, now it's official. <laughs> the cat came to the show. <laughs> and she was reading the story of Yosef being sold and his brothers torturing him and they sold him down to Egypt. And yeah, that's how she started to cry, just like that actually. I, I get sound effects here already also now. Crying and crying and crying, and it was quite a scene. And then they, and he's, she's saying that poor boy, the poor child, the poor child. Finally, Pasha finished, and the people went home, and they remember the next year they're going to have to come to see the show again. And lo and behold, on the next year, the ladies' section is full to the gills. Everybody's waiting for her to perform. But as they read the Pasha, she reads the translation. There's no reaction whatsoever. Until finally, after the Pasha is read and she doesn't crack a smile or shed a tear, someone asks her, What happened last year? You cried and bawled about the selling of Yosef, and this year is nothing? And she looks up and says, Huh. If that fool didn't remember and came back again, he deserved to be sold again. So she didn't cry this time. She felt no sympathy for him. This week was Yutas Kislev. They being Chavbez, of course. Yutas Kislev, the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, was freed from prison. And as I spoke in... I don't know where I was. Marine Park? I think it's called Chabad Marine Park. We spoke on Tuesday night, Monday night. Anybody have a calendar? Monday night. <laughs> it was Monday night. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Where's my fresco? It's in the corner. It's been there. Adam's teasing me. 
Wait, 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 wait. It's empty. My grandson finished it. L'chaim to you, my friend. That's from your grandchildren will finish your fresco. No, no. Open some, some cakes and make a zainas here. Make a bracha. Figure out an interesting one. Pashas Ayeshev is a mind-boggling Pasha. That one, actually, since you took everything else, I'll take the one you didn't take. This looks interesting. This, my dear friends, is called a jumbo cupcake top. They sell a package. They make only the top of the cupcake. That's older. Amazing. Seinfeld, Elaine. Okay. Anyway. Honestly speaking, it's awkward. It begins. Oh, another cat came to the ship. It begins. Next week it's going to be in the zoo. With the Yosef's dreams. And turn off the sound. With Yosef's dreams. And it goes on to the selling of Yosef. And Yosef going down to Mitzrayim. The Pasuk. In this week's Pasha that sticks out probably more than any other Pasuk. And everybody usually remembers it or expounds on it for some reason. As they take Yosef and they throw him into a pit on Ruven's orders. Hold off, don't kill him, put him in a pit. Till he get back. And the Torah tells us, describes the pit, and it says, The pit was empty, there was no water. And Rashi says, My little child here, the Mechomish, the Mikra, is learning this Pasuk, and says, I don't understand. If it's reik, it's empty... Obviously, aim by mind. I mean, why repeat? Why does the Torah go on to say it twice? And Rashi says, when a desert has a ditch with no water in it, mayim ein bay nechashim vakravim yeshboy. There's no water in it, then there must be snakes and scorpions. The rhyme and sense that the brothers made of this for throwing him into this ditch, into this pit was a trial they put him in as a trial to see it is told that a liar 
cannot affect itself from cannot protect himself from snakes. Is that, is that you? Cannot protect himself from snakes, and this is therefore a story in the Gemara, actually, of a town that was being plagued by a snake, a poisonous snake. And the Tana came and he said, Let me take care of the snake. And he came to the hole from which the snake kept coming out of and put his foot in it, his ankle. And as soon as the snake bit him, the snake died. Because the snake can only affect somebody that tells lies. And since he never told a lie, he knew that this would kill the snake. I think we're getting a score. The Knicks are losing. Is that what's happening here? The middle of this year is very important. Yes. Oh my gosh, we're really hitting the rock bottom here. What does it actually mean, esoterically speaking? <laughs> what does it There is no water, but there are snakes and scorpions. We know the Mishnah tells us, Ein mayim when we refer to water, what is the water which gives the Jews nutrition, nurtures Jews? That is the word of Torah. The study of Torah. As we know, Rabbi Akiva when he was told by the king by the emperor to stop studying Torah, the parable that he uses when the king tells him that you're endangering your life by studying Torah and you'll be safe by not learning Torah, he tells him a story of the facts. The fox walked by the river and saw the fish jumping, getting very nervous. He said, what's wrong? What's happening? And the fish said, I'm scared of being caught. Said the fox, you know what? I feel for your cause. Come. Come out of the water, get on my shoulders, I'll protect you. And the fish said, Fox, you're supposed to be the pekeach, the smartest of the animals. What kind of fool are you? As soon as I leave the water, I'm dead. I can't live without water. And so too says Rabbi Akiva. A Jew without tater is a fish without water. Therefore, mayim aimbay. If there's no water of Teda, Nechoshin Vakravim Yeshbay. Snakes and scorpions, which are the lowest of low when it comes to spiritual impurities, 
enter into the system. The English expression is the empty. What is it? The empty mind, not the empty mind. The bored mind, whatever it is a person that's not working and thinking the entire time is the idle mind is the devil's playground. Thank you. My mind went idle for a moment. Or it froze. I'm not sure. Today's days it freezes, you know, it needs an old control delete to restart. <laughs> but the Pasha itself, Yasef gets himself into trouble. He sticks his foot in his mouth, shall we say. He says, he tells his brothers the dream and he sees them seething. I gathered my bushels and my bushels stood in the middle and your bushels came around and they bowed to my bushels. And they all started screaming. You're going to rule over us. You want us to bow to you. Then he has a second dream. How the stars and the moon and everything is bowing down to him again. Didn't you learn your lesson? You got them angry the first dream. Now you're coming and telling him another dream about this. Not enough yet. Yosef goes as his father's bequest go see where the brothers are and he goes out and he goes into the lion's den literally he goes to talk to his brothers alone in the field Up until now, his father protected him basically from them. Now he goes head on with them. And he gets himself in trouble. And he goes down to Mitzrayim. And he put, gets put in jail. And Yehuda meets Tamar. What's going on in this parsha? What kind of lesson? What lesson is Teda teaching us with this parsha? Many years ago, there was a very wealthy man that had pretty much anything he needed. Everything except for one little item. Happiness. He was not happy. Wasn't happy. And he went to doctors, he went to psychiatrists, he went to therapists, he went to whoever he could find out why he's not happy and no one could give him an answer. Finally, he went to a Rav. And the Rav told him, he listened to his whole life story and everything and told him, you know what, mister? You know why you're not happy? Because you're a loner. Not a loser. A loner. You live on your own, for your own, with your own. You don't share. You don't give tzedakah. You don't give charity. You can't possibly be happy. Look, the man said, that sounds like an idea. It sounds like a plan. I have to share, and if I share, I'll be with other people. If I become with other people... 
If I go with other people, maybe something will become. And so he went out to look, to give four people charity. Now, I don't know, my friends, if you've met a poor person in your life. But you sense sometimes that the person's not really so poor. You sometimes sense how could the guy be really that poor? How is it possible the guy really has no food on his table? How is it possible the guy is going through tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt? And every day, every time he gets up in the morning and says, Maidani, it gets deeper. How is it possible that this guy is living his house in foreclosure, the electric bill is on turn-off notice, the gas bill turn-off notice, all these other nightmares that are coming about in his life. Is it real? Something has to be going with this guy. How the guy can possibly get along on a daily basis? And especially when push comes to shove, and you talk to the guy and he smiles. And he's happy. Something is wrong. It can't possibly be that giving this guy charity is real. And therefore, it did not, it didn't click for him. I'm looking to become happy. I need to know that the person I'm giving it to needs it. The person I'm giving it to deserves it. And I'm making a difference in his life. And time was going back and forth. He couldn't find. Then it occurred to him. I know how to find a person that really needs it. You make him cry, it's funny. I'm going to travel the streets. I'm going to find people that have feel they have no hope in life. When I find the people that have no hope, I know they deserve they need tzedakah. And I will give them money which will give them cause and life and vitality and hope. I'll revitalize them. That's what I'm going to do. Brilliant idea. And that's what he does. He picks up and he goes out and he walks the streets looking for someone that lost hope. And he sees this guy with a broken wagon. He says, No, David, you think you're going to make it? You think anything's going to work for you? Ah, don't worry about it. It'll fix. I'll get it fixed. Hashem will help. And he sees another guy whose horse just died in the middle of the street. No, Rabid. What are you going to do now? You have no horse. He says, please, my brother. I'll sell the carcass. I'll make a few dollars. I'll buy it. It's another horse not so big. Hashem will help. And no matter who he spoke to, no matter where he went, everybody felt there's hope. He's not getting anywhere. He's not finding that person that he can give charity to, tzedakah to, and it will be a cause. 
He's walking already, despair and dismay. And he's going by an alley. And he hears in the alleyway, Oi! Oi! This must be my man. And he goes into the alleyway. And on top of the pile of garbage is laying a man. His body full of boils. And it's correction from pain. Oi! And he says, what happened to you? What happened, my friend? He says, it's unbelievable. But I'll tell you what happened to me. I lost my panosa, my livelihood, my family, my house, my reputation. I have no face in the world. I have nowhere to talk and no one to go anymore. And on top of all that, he says, even worse than that. I broke out now, my whole body with boils. Oi, my friend, my dear friend, my friend, my brother. I take it you've given up hope. Chas he says. As long as I'm on the ground and the ground is not on me, I'd have hope. He says, what do you mean? He says, as long as I'm walking on the ground and the ground is not covering me six feet down, I have hope. He was blown out of the water. He says, you want to know who has no hope? Go to the cemetery. (coughs) People that are buried six feet on the dirt, they have no hope, they're not coming over Brilliant. Brilliant. You know why they throw dirt on the dead body? Because he's not complaining. (laughs) Brilliant idea. And he goes, in the middle of the night, he takes a bag full of money, and he goes to the cemetery, and he comes to a deep grave, to a dark grave, and he begins to dig. And he digs a few feet into the ground and he puts the money into the ground. He says, nah, here you go, my friend. Enjoy. And he covers up the, grunt, the money. Well, my friends, the wheel of fortune has a very strange way of doing things. And time went by and the business wasn't doing what it used to. And the business started losing money. And the business started falling apart until finally he was ready to declare bankruptcy. Chapter 11. You know that story, yeah? Uh-huh. Which story? The priest and all that stuff. Very good. <laughs> the man is tuned in. It's called multitasking when you're married. Blame it on the wife. And he's devastated. There's nothing left. Then he remembers... I know where I can find money. I buried money ten years ago. I'm sure the dead man has no problem giving it back. <laughs> and so that night, he goes to the cemetery with his shovel and his bag, and he begins to dig up the grave. After a few minutes, his sweating is starting to roll down his forehead. He hears, Don't move! Pick your hands up over your head 
turn around slowly. And he turns around, he's looking down the barrel of a peace man's gun. You lowlife, you grave snatcher, you came to steal the golden teeth from the dead bodies. How low can you get? He was so petrified and so mortified. He could not even answer. He couldn't even talk. Policeman grabs him, throws him into the car, takes him off to jail. He books him in jail. I thought I was in the rock bottom. Now I see I got even lower. But he thought to himself, I still can't despair. I still have hope. And he realized now, he had no money. He had no business. And he's sitting in jail. But he still felt in his heart of hearts, he has hope. This is peanuts we make our a Surround the brachas today. No, but I got to tell them about the Cash was our age. After a week's time in jail, they bring him before the judge. And the policeman starts telling his story. I was walking by the graveyard. And I saw this despicable person digging up a grave. He had a bag, a sack. He was ready to take the teeth out and put the teeth inside. And that's why I arrested him. The judge turns to him and says, Tell me, mister, is this indeed the story? You were looking to steal dead bodies or teeth from the grave? He says, Your Honor, I'll tell you the story. I have very little hope and faith that you're going to believe me. But I'll tell you the story. And he begins to state from day one how wealthy he was how he searched for happiness, and he was told to give charity, and he looked who to give charity to, and he couldn't find. He's telling on and on. Finally, he says, I decided to go find somebody that lost hope, and give them charity. And I came into the middle of the city, and I asked, and I asked, no matter what happened, the horse died, or the wagon broke, whatever it was, nobody lost hope. And then, and then, I heard moaning from an alleyway. And I came to the alleyway and there was lying a man full of boils on top of the garbage. And he told me his pitiful story. I told him, I asked him, did you lose hope? And he told me a very, very profound statement. As long as I'm on top of the ground and the ground's not on top of me, I don't lose hope. And he gave me the idea to go bury this money in the grave. And so I went to the cemetery and I buried the money. And now, unfortunately, my situation is so bad, I needed that money back. The judge says, that it? He says, yes, Your Honor, that's the story. 
the judge turns to the policeman and says, free him. Send him home. The policeman says, are you crazy, Your Honor? I'm sorry to say. Use such words, but you believe you give credence to such a ludicrous story? And the judge says, I said release him. Free the man. And so, the policeman uncuffs him. And before he leaves, the judge says, come here. The judge looks him in the face. Looks him in his eyes. And says, do you know who I am? The guy looks at the judge and says, I'm sorry, Your Honor, no, I don't know who you are. Look very well in my eyes, do you know who I am? He says, Your Honor, I'm sorry, I apologize, but I really don't know who you are. He says, I will tell you why I believe your story. I was the man lying on top of the garbage with the boils. And Hashem helped me. And I was healed and I became a judge and I got back my whole life. And I remember clearly you coming to me and asking me about having lost my hope. And I clearly told you to go to the cemetery. So I remember you in the story. I know this story is true. Yesif HaTzadik is thrown into a situation that we would think is beyond. After the first dream, logic tells, shut up and get out of your brother's faces. They do not like you. Stay away from where they don't like you. They don't want you. But instead, he goes and tells them again a second dream. Both the dreams indeed were prophecies. Both the dreams came true and fruition. And Yosef knew that in order for that to happen, he had to tell this to them. To bring it about to them so they should know that this is what's going to be. But Yosef never lost hope. Yosef thrived on Amunas Hashem. On belief in Hashem. And thereby was able to overcome all the obstacles. He was able to overcome anything that was presented to him, and ultimately goes down to Mitzrayim, becomes this whatever we'll talk about next week in next week's Pasha. This week was Yutes Kislev. Throughout the world, Hasidic Chabad celebrated Rosh Hashanah Lechassidus. Rosh Hashanah Lechassidus means that it's on this day that the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, was freed from imprisonment, which he was imprisoned for spreading Chassidus, for bringing Chassidus to the world at a tremendous scale. And when he was sitting in prison, 
He was visited by the by the Bashemtiv and the Magid in physical bodies who were no longer alive in this world. And he asked them, Why is this happening? And they said, Because you are spreading Chsidis. So he asked, So when I fin- when I get out of here, should I stop it? And they said, No. Adraba, the opposite. Now that you've started the ball rolling, you must keep it going in a greater scale on and on. And therefore, Yutas Kislev becomes the liberation not only of the Alter Rebbe, but of Chsidis, of Rosen de Teda, of Chsidis, as we know it today. Because the Alter Rebbe was freed, therefore Chsidis was freed. And no matter how much and how many people try to Shalom, oppose its study, it only grows stronger and greater. There were gatherings throughout the world. In London, England, there was a very big gathering. Several hundred chassidim came together. And their guest speaker was Rabbi Beryl Lazar from Moscow. And one of the many stories that Rabbi Lazar told was a very touching story. But once again, a story that reinforces our faith in Hashem. Our belief in Hashem, and even more so, our belief in the simplest of mitzvahs. The smallest of mitzvahs caused the greatest of light. Rebbe Lazar told of a family in Russia, common, very commonplace, a mixed marriage. But this is a mixed marriage in our direction, as we say it. The mother was Jewish and the father was a Catholic. And the Jewish mother wanted her daughter to know about Yiddishkeit. She wanted her daughter to know more than she did, and obviously not make the same mistake and marry a guy. The father didn't see any threat. What could the beer ready? How much could she teach her? The mother found out in the summertime there was a, a Chabad day camp. Gan Yisrael. Gan day camp. She sent her daughter for the few weeks and her daughter picked up a lot, a lot of things. A little simple five-year-old innocent little child was told about lighting Shabbos candles, was told about kashas. And every Friday in day camp they would light Shabbos candles and make the bracha. And they taught the child the bracha lahadlik shal Shabbos kodesh. Killing my recording. Lahadlik nesh Shabbos kodesh. And how to make a bracha on food. And the child, the little child, the five years old, but she learned. 
just as the children, as we told a few weeks ago, the story of the children after the Holocaust that were in a in a monastery, an orphanage, and the monastery didn't want to give back the children after the war to the Jews. And the rabbi walked in while the children were going to sleep, and the rabbi said, "Everybody, kindleach, say Shema Yisrael together." And all the children put their eyes on their hands, on the hands on their eyes, and he knew these were ours. And so, this little girl too had learned these few mitzvahs that were ingrained in her. And she came home and started wanting to light Shabbos candles and start talking about kosher and start wanting to make brachas. The father started getting very nervous. And the father realized he got to make a move. And the move that this father wanted to make was to take the child to be converted. Child is Jewish because the mother is Jewish. He wanted to bring her to his church and have the child converted. And so they came to the church and the ceremony was set up, the appointment was made for the major conversion. Family, everybody was there. And in the beginning of the ceremony, the child that's being converted was asked to come up and to light a candle. To light a candle. So the child took the match and went up to the candle and lit the candle but after she lit the candle she went with her hands over the candle covered her eyes and made the bracha because very innocently she knew only that when she lit a candle she had to make a bracha as she does every Arab Shabbos on the lighting of a candle and that's what she did Obviously, it made a tremendous ration, and we have, as far as the story is documented, we don't know what the rest of the story is, but we do know that the bracha was made in the church. We read on in the Pasha, and we come across the famous story of Yehuda. Yehuda had three sons. But the sons were a little awkward. The story is very strange. But as the story, as the Taylor tells us the story, the Taylor tells us of them marrying a woman, but the woman was extremely beautiful. And they felt that if they would impregnate, the, the, the man said, if I impregnate my wife, it takes away from her beauty. And therefore he refused to make her pregnant. God saw this. God punishes him. And he's killed. So he said, Yehuda turns to the second brother and says, There's a halacha in the Teda. That you have to do yibum. Yibum, the Teda tells us, that if a man is married and does not have any children, his brother has an obligation to continue his brother's name. And how does he continue his brother's name? By marrying the wife and thereby continuing with children. Unfortunately, the son, the brother, in spite of the Yibum, 
Jairah tells us also refused to make her pregnant. And he too dies. And the Torah goes on to tell us how ultimately she goes down to, a, to Timna and then here the Yehuda comes by. Yehuda doesn't know who she is. She was covered up and he thought that she was a estranged woman, shall we say. And he comes to, to be with her. And Yehuda is with her and Yehuda gives her his signet and his staff. And ultimately... Three months later, it becomes known that she is pregnant. It becomes known that she's pregnant, and the tailor tells us that Yehuda's reaction immediately is take her out and burn her. Rashi says, Uh oh, I better explain this to the little Ben Chomish Namikra. Take her out and burn her sounds very, very drastic. Why are we burning her? <coughs> and Rashi tells the Mechamesh the Mikra, Rashi tells the Mechamesh the Mikra, sorry, That the reason for her to be burned was because she was the daughter of shame. And being the daughter of shame, shame was a kayin. And because he was a kayin, the punishment of the daughter of a kayin that lives with another with a man without being married to him is that she is put to death, and how is she put to death? By being burnt. <laughs> we need to understand this. First of all, the halacha, that a bas koyin, the din is to be burnt, is mentioned much later in the Torah. We knew nothing of this din until now. Why would her din be to be burnt? A second question. It only talks about a married or engaged girl. She was single. She was a widower. A widow. Also the Mother Shabbat says... Tamar, his daughter, was the daughter of shame. And it says she was a bat kohen, a daughter of a kohen. Therefore she has to be burnt. But Rashi leaves out the fact that she was a bat ish kohen. It just says, Bita Shashem Haita, Shuhu kohen. And finally, <laughs> We see the end of the story when she, we find out that the child that she was impregnant with was from Yehuda. Oh, Mechi. When we find out it's from Yehuda, the son, he says, okay, it's no problem now. <laughs> Why did it become kosher? Uh-huh. 
The bottom line is, though, that this is not the reason that she used, because she was a Bat Kohen, she had to be burned. But because the general populace at the time had accepted upon themselves already that women did not go around and give birth to other men. And of course it was known that a daughter of a Kohen should have to behave better. And this we learn from what it said in the passage. When it talks about with, with Dina, in Dina it discusses the same idea that the Shechem did to her, and therefore we know this is not allowed to be done. But when Yehuda came to her, she came, he came, she came to him like an Isha Zaina. Uh-huh. Zaina means Mufkeres. She is totally Hefker. And thereby being Hefker to anybody, he realized that she is available for any man to come. If he's available to any man to come, so not only with me, then who knows who else. And therefore, there was no DNA testing, obviously. And therefore she was brought to Sefer. <coughs> Let us understand this in a deeper form. What exactly transpires here? Why the burning, etc.? Chassidus explains when Yehuda said, Take her out and burn her. This is what he meant to say. Like when the Neshama comes out and comes down into this world, into the exile. The exile, which is a Bechin, which is in a level of Eretz Tzieh Oyef Limoyim. A land of drought with no water. Thirst. And then Vitisarev. It becomes burning by them the love of the Abishta, of God, in a greater form, because the Neshama sees how far he is from godliness. How could the Neshama get to a higher level when it's found in the situation of Hitzia out of Beisavia? The fact is that the Neshama is a chelik elikam in Malmamish, and this is what the Alter Rebbe begins to explain in the Tanya Kadisha. That the Achelik is part of God Himself. And therefore the Neshama Tahira always will remain a Bat Kohen. No matter how far down, how low it's gotten. And therefore the situation of take her out can be bringing her up to Tisarev that she should have a burn in her. She should want to do and to learn Tahira. The story is told of a child in Bnei Brak that was doing very well in yeshiva. He was doing well in his studies. He was doing well in everything he had to know. He was punctual. Always in yeshiva a few minutes earlier, came home a few minutes later. 
But as time had it, something clicked. Or worse, something snapped. When he lost the gusto, he lost that lost to the want to go to learn. He started getting up later in the morning. He started going later, coming home earlier. He stopped paying attention to classes. Ultimately, he gave up on yeshiva. Not in yeshiva, he took to the streets. <coughs> took to the streets, he found new friends. And he gave up everything else as well. Needless to say, the father was very distraught and broken, as was the mother. But try as he wanted to talk to the child, and as much as the mother talked, and as much as the friends talked to the child, there was nothing to accomplish. Years went by. And the father, whenever he had an opportunity, picked up a tehillim and said a few kapitlach. What else could he do for the child? And he said his few kapitlach tilim for his child. And you just went online. The computer. Yeah. And he didn't even know what was happening at that moment. But at that moment, the boy had just come off the bus from a lot. He arrived in Tachanam Merkazi, Tel Aviv. And there stood an old Chabad Chassid. He said, Yered, bought a nyacht for him. Come, my lad, put on tefillin. <laughs> he says, that's not happening. And instead, he tried to talk to him, and try to convince him, and try to get through to him. But you know, my friends, today's youth are very, very tough. When they give up on something, they fight tooth and nail. And this child, this boy, was doing the same. Finally, he was walking away, and the chassid said, No, I must get him to Paranthul. He says, Bacha, you know what? Never mind putting on film for Hashem. Never mind putting on film for yourself. Put it on for me. For me. I don't, I never did anything wrong to you. Do me a personal favor and put on the film. Kid was already caught off guard over here with this. I said, no, that's what you're asking. Say this. And the boy took the tefillin and rolled up his sleeves and took and put the tefillin on by himself very, very fluently. Made the brachas by himself, said Krishna by himself. The chastid was taken back. This is not so simple. This boy must have really known his stuff. When he finished putting on film, he told the boy, he says, you know, I need a very big favor from you. I know I was stretching it when I asked you to put on film, but I need another favor. 
All my children are married. We sit at a Shabbos table, me and my wife. Sometimes a grandchild comes. But generally we sit alone. It's very lonely. But lonely is not such a problem for me. I can talk to my wife, we have what to talk about. But my real problem is, I feel bad for my wife. She works her hands off on Arab Shabbos to cook. And is a fantastic cook, and the stuff is delicious. And I always compliment her. But how much could you hear from me? It doesn't really give her that satisfaction when she hears a compliment from me. Do me a favor. Come join us for the Shabbos meal and give her a compliment. It won't be hard for you to give a compliment. The food is delicious. I'll tell you what, I'll give you money for it. Every week you come, I'll pay you for it. <laughs> and a kid said, listen, a free meal and a few bucks to boot. What can I lose? And so the first Shabbos he shows up on time and he joins for the meal and he gives beautiful compliments. And he listens to the devotee the man says, and the second Shabbos, the third Shabbos, and the man pays me after Shabbos each week. You can do that. Why not? And ultimately the boy said, I, I really feel for you people, I don't want to desecrate Shabbos. I'm going to stay for Shabbos. And he started staying for Shabbos and and he started staying for Shabbosim, and the things started to turn around. And ultimately, he grew back his beard and his payas, and he returned home. Now, that would be a very classical, beautiful end of the story. But my friends, I wouldn't tell it if it was. <laughs> the father was from B'nai <coughs> Brak, and not from a Chabad descent. And in Bnei Brak, I don't know if you know it, but a majority of Bnei Brak is antagonistic against Chabad, to say the least. But the father felt a responsibility, something. felt a responsibility to go and thank the Rebbe personally for saving his son. So the father booked the ticket came to New York and it was Sunday morning and he got online for dollars and he took a dollar from the Rebbe and said, Rebbe, I want to thank you for saving my son. But I have a question. This is too much to be believed even, so you're not going to believe me if I tell the story. You'll say, eh, he's exaggerating, it's propaganda. But he turned to the Rebbe and said, the Rebbe, I don't understand. How are you allowed to put on trillin without washing your hands first? He did not wash Neglavasa that day. He surely went to the bathroom and never washed his hands. How could you put trillin on him? <coughs> Here, this trillin that he put on without washing his hands saved his life and made him from again. And this man is coming to complain about this. But the Rebbe, being a Rebbe, had the answer 
in his own eloquent way. And the Rebbe said to him, Rebbe, I want to tell you, you know where Connecticut is? The guy says, no, he's from Bnei Brak. Connecticut is a little state not far from New York State. In Connecticut, there's a Jew that wakes up in Kippur morning, shaves and has a shower, has his coffee and breakfast, gets in his car and drives to shul. And comes and sits down in shul on Yom Kippur. And the Rebbe says, Do you have any idea how much pleasure the Almighty God gets from this Jew sitting in his shul on Yom Kippur? Opening a machzer, maybe even saying a word or two? Hearing a word of Kriyas HaTayra or something of the sort? Do you have any idea how much nachas ruach that causes by God? Man was shocked. <laughs> the Rebbe says, I don't even know how much nachas ruach. <clears throat> it is such a great extent, the pleasure that this causes to God, even I don't measure that. So much more so, if the tefillin that your child put on even without washing his hands caused him to come back to you how can you dare have the audacity to complain about washing his hands and not washing his hands it's an absurdity and the man took and understood quite well but ultimately we see from this union of Yehuda and Tamar is the birth of the twins. And the tailor goes on to tell us a very, very ironic story. Which, <laughs> what would that message be from this story? As the woman was about to give birth, one child stuck his hand out. And she tied, the midwife tied a ribbon around the hand. He withdrew his hand and the other one burst out. And they called him Peretz for bursting out. But he was not the first one out because the other one's hand came. And then came Zerach. (laughs) What is that? Did you ever sit on the street and just see a car fly by? And, and, and just not understand why the guy was doing 97 miles an hour in a city street. He was going, what was that? Why do we the Tain is telling us this happening. What was that? <laughs> he does it all the time. We, and I'm always saying, they're saying, what was that? <laughs> yeah. You miss it. Too fast. Peretz and Zerach. Zerach. The, Baals, the Mashiach is going to come either when the entire nation will be tzaddikim or oh, this cat really is in his business either when all the Eden will be tzaddikim or when all the Eden will do tshuva what is the difference between the tzaddik and the Baal tshuva? 
The shine, Zarach, the shine is that of the tzaddikim. A tzaddik lights the world up. A baltshuva is parat geder. A baltshuva takes the boundaries, the restraints to which he was in when he was not doing Torah mitzvahs chas v'shalom and breaks through this and becomes a baltshuva. Mashiach's ancestry starts from Peretz. And therefore, the message that Tate is telling us is that whether it be the concept of Zerach the Shine or Peretz the breaking through of the Balchuva, this story is our hope, our lesson, our lifeline. That we know that Bikarev, just like Yosef going down to Mitzrayim, was the beginning of Golos, was the beginning of all exiles, and the only way Mashiach can come is if the Jews go into exile. Therefore, ironically, going into exile is ultimately redemption of Mashiach. And therefore, when we hear the story of Peretz and Zerach, we know that this is the opening line and this is going to be the opening blessing for Mashiach Tzidkenu, for the Geula Asida, which will merit this very week. This week, Matzah Shabbos, we begin the Yom Tov of Hanukkah. Yet from next week we will talk about Hanukkah. Just a few halakas quickly. When a person comes home from Shul on Matzah Shabbos, he makes Abdullah first and then lights the Meneda. If it's at all possible, and the cat will not knock it over, you can set your menorah up already on Friday. If, if your cat decides that he's going to knock over the menorah, or she's going to knock over your menorah, then set it up on Matzah Shabbos. Menorah, um, of course, is lit according to Beis Hillel, which is the right side, the first nights, and each night we add towards the left. Each night we light the new candle first, and then we light the old. Say hi. Say hi to everybody. School morning. Mr. Tzvi, say hi. Okay, Mr. Tzvi's not saying hi. The Shamus is the only candle that you can use the light from it. The candles of the Menorah may not be given, you not use the light from the Menorah. The candles you cannot read by the light of the Menorah. The Menorah every day has to be lit and burned until a half hour after Tzvi, after the stars come out. The earliest you could light a menorah is Plaga Mincha, which well, next Friday, of course, you have to light before Plaga Mincha. Next Friday, you'll be lighting first the menorah and then there's Shabbos Kedish. The menorah, as we said, has to have enough to burn for a half hour after Tzaysak Echovim. We'd like to, at this point, also invite everybody. This Sunday, Mitchum, we are having our Hanukkah party from 2 to 5 in our home at 1503 Union Street. We hope to see everybody. <laughs> Come join us for the party, for the latkes, the donuts, and the sushi. And the sushi. And just plain fun. I won't even bother you. Maybe, I'll, I mean, not maybe. I will surely say Advartera, but it won't be for an hour. And we won't Skype, because if you think your fresca made me jealous, ha <laughs> wait till you see the party. So have a Shabbat Shalom everybody, it should be a light Hanukkah, a beautiful Hanukkah, we should light up the lights, Amen. and if you know anybody, what, if you know anybody that does not have a Menorah, 
here in New York and needs a Meneda, I will definitely get it to them. But if you know anybody in your area that doesn't have Meneda, you could possibly see to it that they light Hanukkah Meneda. Each light adds to the light that we need to brighten the darkness and to burn away the walls of Golos and to take us to Shabbos with Mashiach Tzidkenu, Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh. Shabbat Shalom to all. Yossi, we got to talk with him. Bye-bye.